Good morning, church. Uh, that was, um, you know, we say things that was a, we say things like that was a sweet time, that was a precious time, but um, and and all of those adjectives fail, don't they? Because we're acknowledging, Lord, we're acknowledging that we that we believe and we know that we are in the very presence of the living God. And when we gather, as we gather like this, and we we lift our voice in praise and adoration of the great King, the great God, the great Saviour of our souls, we're acknowledging that he's right here, that he's right with us, and that the angels join in with us. And we believe that with all our hearts, that that this thing called worship is, is, is the call upon our lives. This is what we are called to do. This is why we exist. This is why we're here, to worship the true and the living God, to represent the greatness of who he is in our lives, and that is manifest through the reality that we have nothing but to do but to praise him and to lift him up and to extol the virtue that he brings to our lives, to shine it forth to this life all around us. It's not just standing in this place and wherever you are seated this morning singing songs. It's so much more than that. It's a heart that is trying to burst forth with the reality of this God who has entered into our very living souls and has made us alive and has called us to represent him in this world. That's what worship is. That's why we are here. And this morning, we sing those songs and our hearts just leap. They just rejoice because we know it's true. He's truly with us. He's truly touched us. He's truly changed us. And he truly wants to do incredible things to glorify his name in this world. Oh, church, that's why we're here. That's why we're on this planet. And that's why it's precious to worship him. Um, where do I start? Would you bow your hearts with me? Father in heaven, how wonderful you are. How truly, truly wonderful you are. And, and we struggle, Lord, to find words to, to express that. But I just pray, Lord God, that you would hear the cry of our hearts. Lord, we know that you know that we love you. We know that you know that we, we are eternally indebted to you. And we understand that we cannot do anything. We can't do anything that makes us more valuable in your sight than what you've already done for us. 
and that you came into this world and you died upon a cross to save us from our sin. And you've engaged us and you've drawn us unto yourself and you've brought life where there was death. You brought hope where there was none. You brought assurance where we were struggling. You brought peace and rest. And we love you for it, Father. We just want to praise you. We just want to honour you with every breath of our being. We thank you for our brothers and sisters. We thank you, Father, that you're with us all, and especially those, Lord God, that that are struggling right now. We remember Wendy, and Lord, we remember Max, Father God, and we ask, Lord, for any others, Lord, that are struggling right now, and ask, Lord God, that your presence would flood their beings in a fresh and new way. Remind them, Lord God, that you are present. Remind them, Lord God, that you are their sufficiency. Remind them, Lord God, that you are there to raise them up according to your purpose in their lives, to fulfill fill that destiny that you've called them to. Thank you, Father, that you are that great sufficiency right now. Thank you for being with us all. Thank you, Father, for being with our friends, Lord, near and distant, O God. Pray you'd be with Daryl, Lord God, and Laurel, and you just bless their lives and continue to cause, Lord, your light to shine upon them and from them, Father. Thank you, Father, that you're with us all. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Ah, Good morning again, church. Um, This past month we have been looking at um, what it is to live again. We've been looking at the subject of what it is to be revived and to... And I want to bring, I don't know, I guess I'm bringing this this little series to a close this morning. Uh, But while I'm bringing the series to the close, I'm going to continue to pray that it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of a new revitalized life that we all know and experience in God as he reminds us every day, even as we have just praised that he's with us, that he's with us to do great and wonderful things, that he's empowering is there upon our lives to raise us up and to do those things that would cause this world to be amazed and in awe of the great and awesome God that we serve for his glory and for his praise. I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to enliven our spirits and, and do wonderful things, Father. And so this morning, I, I, I just want to bring a, an exhortation to you, an encouragement to you. Um, and I want to start by looking at the life of, well, briefly at part of the life, the life of Jacob. Um, but before I do that, I, I want to read this to you. I read a, a devotion the other day, and um, the writer shared their thoughts, and they were talking about, well, let me read it to you. Um, the writer said, I thought that quiet mornings were my love language with God. I always picture meeting him in quiet morning moments, coffee in hand, Sheets all bunched up, 
light flooding through the windows, quiet surroundings. I pictured him speaking into the quietest times of my life. But I didn't know why, and I don't know why I didn't realise sooner that he rarely shows up within the parameters of my expectations. He moves in ways that I can't explain or even begin to imagine. But I do know that he is always moving, that he is always active, and that he's always here. Look, I read that the other morning, and you know, and, and there's there's nothing really revelational in the statement. But, but rather it's a reminder of a constant reality that so many become dull to, even unconscious, even asleep to. And, and in that sense, then it becomes revelational, you know. It's the ever-present reality of his presence. The, the closing words of the statement, he's always here. He's always here. And we know that in our heads, don't we? We know that in our heads. But oh, that that would become reality within our hearts. That he truly is here. In this room with just this handful of people. Wherever you are seated, wherever you are listening to this message, he's there. He's here with us. And, you know, I think about that and I thought about that ever since I read it the other morning. But it reminded me, it reminded me of, 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 of Jacob. You remember the story? He was that cunning, slippery character. And, and people use all sorts of adjectives to describe that part of his nature. But we know the story. We know that Jacob, how he had tricked his older brother Esau out of his birthright. And having done that, Esau became incredibly enraged against his brother. And to keep him safe, that is Jacob, to keep him safe, he was sent from his family's home the place where his mother had nurtured him and cradled him and kept him safe. And he was sent from his mother's home to the place of his mother's family. And it was going to be, well actually it was a, it was a journey of some 800 kilometres to Haran. And it was there his life would change. It was there that his direction would, would just be, begin to open up to him. It was there that he would meet and eventually marry the love of his life, Rachel. But you know, he, would set out, he set out on that track. And when he set out on that track, he was a mummy's boy. That's who he was. He was a mummy's boy heading off into the unknown, fleeing from an angry brother who wanted him dead. Now, we're told that on this journey, and it would have been about the third night of this journey, that he stopped in a quiet place upon a hill and he rested and he took a rock and he laid it down and for him it was a pillow that night and he went to sleep. 
You can read about it in Genesis chapter 28. In fact, if you've got your Bibles there, open up to Genesis chapter 28. Because as he went to sleep there that night, he had this incredible dream. And he saw this ladder, this ladder that was extending from the earth and it reached all the way up to heaven. And in this dream, he saw upon this ladder the angels of God and they were ascending and they were descending upon this ladder. And standing, and the most amazing part of it, standing at the top of this ladder, watching over this man, he saw God himself and the Lord began to speak to him as he was watching over his life. And what he said to him was essentially this, that this birthright, albeit a stolen birthright, he was, he was confirming that birthright to him, reminding him that he, Jacob, was going to be the one, or he would be the line of God's promise that originally made to his grandfather Abraham, and that that promise would flow through him. He'd heard about that promise all of his life. And God was saying, this promise is to you, Abraham, to you, Jacob. You'll become a great nation. You will be innumerable. And ultimately that promise we know that was made to Abraham, that was passed on to Isaac, his father. And now to him through this revelation, through this dream, he was hearing that the promise would come to him and through him. And as it was said to Abraham, and as he had heard from his father and from his grandfather, that the saviour of the world was going to come, you know. And he woke up from that dream and he made this statement. Genesis 28 verse 16, if you're there, says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Notice this, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, it says, and said, how awesome is this place? You know, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You see, here's the thing. He arrived at that place. He was in fear. And he had little assurance about his future. And he went to sleep that night. He was a tired man. He was feeling very vulnerable, very much alone in the world. Can you see that solitary figure? Full of fear. Full of unknowing. Unsettled. Not knowing where what really is before him. Can you see that figure lying on that rock with his, his head resting upon it? But can you see the vision, the dream that was opening up to him? Can you see from the point of heaven looking down upon him, the God of heaven watching over this solitary scene? And he awoke from that dream and he said, I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I didn't know the reality of God's presence in this place. And you know what he did? He woke to that revelation. 
And he changed the name of that place from Lutz to Bethel. And we know that Bethel means house of God. He was saying, this is where God is. The thing is, Jacob certainly had known God's promises made in his, in his family. He'd heard it from his grandfather. He would have heard the story over and over and over again throughout his life. He would have worshipped, in fact, and prayed to the God of his father Isaac. But he had never known God in this personal, living way as they did. But now, but now he's been awoken to the reality of God's overshadowing presence in his life. And all of the promises of God made to his family have become truth to his heart. Yes, it was here, but now it's been here. Now it's here by by revelation of God. It's found its way into his heart. And all those promises, he knows that God is with him. He knows the promises of God are great and God wants to do great and incredible things through him and so Jacob Jacob awoke that morning and he worshiped God probably as he had never worshiped God before and then he made this declaration and he committed his life to God read the story the subject this past month has been personal revival it's been a spiritual awakening you know, you may never heard of, of, of Gypsy Smith, but he was a Methodist evangelist at the end of the 1800s and through in the early days of the, of the 1900s, you know. And someone came to Gypsy Smith and, said, and, and asked him a question. He said, they said, how do you start revival in a person's life? How do you start revival in a community? I'm not sure what the exact question was, but it was essentially, how do you start revival? And he said this, to that person. He said, you go home. You lock yourself in your room. You kneel down in the middle of your floor and you take a piece of chalk and you draw a circle around yourself and then you pray to God and you ask God to start a revival in your heart And when he has answered that prayer, revival has started in that place. Where? In that circle. Where you are. That personal revival in your heart. I've been asking you each and every week for the past month. And I have to ask you again. In light of the things that we have spoken about. What's going on inside your circle? What's happening where you live? I've asked the question every week now. Do you know that you are a child of God? Do you know whose child you really are? Are you a child of the God of the Bible? The God of truth? The same God who created the heavens and the earth. The same God who has revealed himself through his son that we might know him personally. The same God that has come to lead us into all truth, to sanctify us by his truth. Do you know that you are? You are his child? That he is your God? Are you a praying Christian? 
Do you humble yourself before him inside your circle? Do you acknowledge your complete dependence upon him? Do you earnestly, wholeheartedly desire his presence, his purpose, his blessing and all the things of your life inside of your circle? Don't look at anybody else's. Don't look at what's going on inside their circle, but inside your circle, is this your desire? Do you allow God inside that circle? Do you allow God to search you and to expose your sinfulness? Don't worry about what's happening in anybody else's circle. No, inside yours. Do you allow him to search your heart? To expose your sinfulness? Do you confess that sin before him with genuine repentance? Do you eagerly, what a great word, but do you eagerly, use that one as well, do you eagerly seek restoration with God, not wanting anything to separate you from him in your circle? Please don't leave your circle because that's where revival starts in your life, in your circle, not in anybody else's. Are you hungering after his word? Are you longing, longing for its illumination in your life? And that gospel, the cross of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice, that great gospel message that saves, transforms and glorifies sinful people. Is it the most, let me ask you this question, is it the most precious gift given to all of mankind? Let me ask you again. Let me ask you again, what's going on inside your circle? You know, we're talking about personal revival. You know? The question has been, and I ask it of myself, are we dissatisfied with this complacent so-called spirituality that just doesn't produce Living for Christ. Are we finished with careless living? Are we finished with, with a shallow, superficial faith that has no influence beyond in my life beyond the walls of the church or beyond the, the, the fellowship of believers? But when I'm actually living this life in this world we're called, where God has called me to shine his light, is it moving me? Is it shining brightly that all might see him? I guess the question is, am I ready? Am I willing to exchange this self-indulgence for a self-denying, life-transforming Christianity? I've asked those questions every week because they are the hallmarks of the Christian that has been spiritually awoken. Spiritually awoken to the reality of God's presence in their life. Let, let me read this to you. Let me read these same hallmarks to you from, from the scriptures. Again, we, look, turn with me. Go, let's go to the other side of the book. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read 21 verses with you this morning. Because this is the Apostle Paul. 
This is his desire for the church to be alive, to be spiritually awoken. And it sets this incredible contrast. And he is making the statements of the questions that I have been asking. Notice what he says. Therefore, verse 1, be imitators of Christ as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness Let it not even be named amongst you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once dark in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is a shameful, it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whoever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awaken you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Walk in wisdom. See then that you walk, here it is, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Inside our circles, inside your circle where revival begins where we begin to live again we we are imitators of God he says as dear children we know whose children we are we walk in love as Christ has loved us And, and there's no fornication in this circle There's no uncleanliness. There's no covetousness in this circle. There's no filthy, please hear this Christian. There's no filthy, foolish talking. There's no coarse jesting. Because we know in this circle, 
where God makes us live again, that those things are not fitting of a child of God. But rather, with grateful hearts, we walk as children of light in goodness, he said, and in righteousness and truth and wisdom. We're filled with the Spirit of God. And our hearts declare it as we speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Everything is affected. Everything changes when God makes our heart Live. Nothing remains the same. It's interesting in that passage there in Ephesians, Paul goes to talk about the relationship. After, after talking about being awoken, he goes on to talk about our, our relationships with our husbands and our wives and our relationships to our children as parents and our relationships to, to those that we serve in this world. You see, everything is affected by the child of God who has been made alive, who has been spiritually awoken from a slumber that doesn't know that God is present. And I fear that there are so many Christians who don't know that God is present in their homes. They don't know that he's present in their marriages. They don't know that he's present in their children's lives or in the lives of the people that they seek to serve in this world and honour in this world. They have no idea that God is there at all and they need to be awoken. We need to be awoken. Because God wants to affect everything. Everything in your life. Too many people are asleep. In their circle. You know, it's interesting that when a person goes to sleep at night, we cycle through, we cycle through in and out of a whole different lot of stages. And certainly a lot happens when we are asleep. But when you move into the deep sleep, where we spend a large portion of our nights in our beds, our brain becomes less and less responsive to the outside world around us. And it gets harder to wake up. And that's exactly what takes place in a sleeping Christian. Good people, faithful Loyal Christians sitting in church every week. But life becomes a constant routine of church, work, home, church, work, home, church, work, home. And believers just existing in the body of Christ but not really passionate about Christ's ministry in their lives. Not really passionate about a sanctified life. Not really aware that every moment is a moment for the kingdom of God, that God is always wanting to do things. We sing the songs on Sunday morning, don't we? We sing so many songs about God wanting to do things in our lives and that he is doing things in our lives We sing them all the time, but we walk out of the congregation of believers 
And we're not really passionate about a sanctified life. We're not really passionate about bringing glory to, to Jesus in everything that we do. Not really passionate about loving our fellow believers. Not really passionate about seeing the lost come to a, a salving to salvation. And so many are not aware, simply not aware, that God is present. They're in a deep spiritual sleep. But you know, when they wake up, even as Jacob woke up, when they woke up to the reality that God is present in their life, it can be an arresting thing. An arresting thing to suddenly realize that the life that I am living is not really pleasing to God. And I had no idea, no idea at all, like a sleeping person just simply unaware, not aware that I've been growing lukewarm. Not aware that I have been leaving the first love and replacing it with other interests in my life. Not even aware that I've been backsliding, moving away from him who died for me and gave his life for me. Just drifting off into sleep. We need to be awoken, Christians. Paul said in Romans chapter 13, he said, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He said, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not as revelry and drunkenness, not as lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts in our lives. Awake out of your sleep. So here's the thing. What good is all our Bible knowledge? What good is our orthodoxy? What good is all the doctrines that we hold to? What good is our good moral living? What good is our church attendance? And you might say, hang on, Chris, wait a minute, Chris. All of those things, they're great things. They're good things. And I would agree with you. They are. Yes, they're good things. But what good are they if they are in the heart and life of a sleeping believer? What good are they if we are sleeping Christians completely unaware that God is present to do great things? That God is present to bring his supernatural life and boldness into our lives that we might be people longing 
to serve him and honour him with every breath of our lives, to take this word that he has planted in our hearts, all this Bible knowledge, all this orthodoxy, all these doctrines of truth that we hold to dearly, to take them and to bring them forth from this mind to this heart out into this world around us to see God move in people's lives to shine the light of righteousness in this dark world that all is, is all around us you know Isaiah in chapter 6 we know it so well he saw this awesome he saw the awesomeness of God upon the throne he confessed his sins and God forgave him just like you just like me we've seen the awesomeness and the majesty of God we beheld Christ in his beauty we've seen the very heart of God poured out upon this world through the cross of Jesus Christ we know the glory. We know that we have been washed clean. We remember the day when we gave our hearts to Jesus Christ for some of us many, many years ago. And we know that he saved us and we know that he forgave us of our sin. But what happened then? What happened after that? Isaiah saw him high and lifted up. He saw the glory of the presence of God. And God touched his lips and God cleansed his heart. And it didn't end there because then God said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The question is, who's awake to hear it? Who's awake to hear it? Because Isaiah was awake. He said, Here I am, Lord, send me. We've been talking about revival. Again, for this past month. Because we can be just going through the motions as an unconscious believer. And we need to be revived. You know, I've had so many conversations with people over, people over this last month. People have been ringing me up. People have been sending me letters. People have been sending me emails. And people are coming alive in their homes, in their circles. They're rejoicing in, in who their saviour is. You know, <coughs> and we're kept behind in these doors. We've been separated. And, you know, I just can't wait to see what's going to happen. I just can't wait to see what's going to happen when we're allowed out. When we're allowed out to take this new life that Christ has birthed in our hearts and to share it and to declare it and to live in it and to see what happens outside our circles when we shine the light of Christ when we are awoken for all the world to see we need to be revived. We need to be awakened from our slumber. Look, someone said these words, and again, these impacted me in this last week. They said, look at the state of our land. 
Christians, Christian, do not slumber. Christian, do not sleep. For God's enemies are not sleeping. The world and the devil does not sleep. Then let not the children of God sleep. The hour has come. It is here now for you to awake from your slumber. Hear, this is what caught my heart. Hear the wake up call from the throne of the universe. I love that statement. Hear the wake up call from the throne of the universe. We must, you must, I must cry out to God and cry out to God to be awakened. Cry out and ask him to revive you, to pour his spirit of renewal into your life, into your spirits. You know, we started with Jacob, right? Jacob was awakened by the presence and the promise and the power and the provision of God Almighty who was with him. God was with him. God provided for him. God blessed him. And you know what? He left his father's home in Canaan completely empty-handed, living in fear and doubt about his future. But you know what? 20 years later, turn to Genesis 35, 20 years later, (coughs) he returned not as a fearful lonely man but he returned as a tribal prince with 12 sons which would become the messianic nation chosen by God to bring salvation to this world he was rich in flock and herd and servants and God restored his relationship with Esau it was no fear in his heart anymore God kept his promises But I've asked you to turn to chapter 35 because there in chapter 35 we hear that God then calls him back. In fact, God says to him to come back up to Bethel. Why? God said, come back to Bethel. And if you read the preceding chapters, you realize... That call came to this man whom God had been faithful to, whom God had blessed. But for several years, Jacob didn't hear. Jacob lingered in disobedience at a place called Shechem. It was only 50 kilometers away from Bethel. But he lingered there. And I give it to you to read what happened. Because in those few years where he wasn't listening, where he wasn't hearing, terrible things happened. Terrible things happened in those years to the point that the Bible said Jacob's name became a stench to the inhabitants of that land. It says in verse 1, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. 
and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods. This is his home. These are his people. Put away your foreign gods that are amongst you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Then let us, us, see that? Includes himself. Let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Jacob was drawn back to the place of awakening. God is always the one who arouses us from our slumber. Always the one that calls us, and notice it, go back up to Bethel, Jacob. And it's interesting, throughout the scriptures, there's always that call to go back up. I know geographically Bethel was higher than where he was, but you're always like Jerusalem. You're always going up to Jerusalem. If you're going to the temple, you're always going up to the temple. And how wonderful it is that Jesus Christ was taken from that elevated place in Jerusalem to a hill outside the walls. And one day you went up to Calvary, didn't you? And you went up to Calvary and you were born again when the shed blood of Jesus Christ washed you clean of your sin. And I just think that God is calling us to go back up, to realize the life of God, that resurrection life. Jacob was being called back up from a place of slumber where only bad things were happening. Terrible things were happening in his life. Christian, if God has been stirring you from your sleep, don't just roll over. We love to do that, don't we? We're awoken to a new day by an alarm that goes off. And the first thing we want to do is just roll over and go back to sleep. But when God rings that alarm in your heart, and I pray that he has been ringing that alarm in your heart, don't just roll over, but arise and breathe in the revitalizing air of God's refreshing spirit within your spirits. And and live again, Christian. Live again. Wake up. God is in this place. Where you are right now, God is in that place. He is in this place. So put away those foreign gods. Those things that have taken a place of passion and devotion in your life. Those things that have become more important than Jesus Christ. Put those things away. Purify yourself. In the washing of God's cleansing word. 
I love what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms. And here it is again, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God's word, it displaces unrighteousness from your life and replaces it with righteousness. Let it wipe away fear. Let it bring faith to your heart. Come under it its influence, its power, and its authority in your life. Let it wake you up. Change those filthy, what did he say? Change those filthy garments and be clothed in the righteous garments of God's righteousness. You're going to wake up and cry out, Christian. Cry out with that cry of Isaiah in the chapter 61 and verse 10, where he said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. As a bride adorns himself, a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my God. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Is that our cry this morning in our circle? Is that what God is doing in our hearts? If you are hearing the cry, if the alarm has gone off, Christian, don't roll over. Don't go back to sleep. Get up and live again. And live again. And let God begin to do his work. Let me close with this quote. It was by Charles Finney. I don't hold to everything that Charles Finney said, but this I do. He said, break up your fallow ground. In breaking up your fallow ground, you must recover every obstruction or remove, sorry, every obstruction. Things may be left that you think little things. And you may wonder why you do not feel as you wish to feel in religion. When the season is that you're, gra- that you're proud. And I'm going to start that again. He said, break up your fallow ground. In breaking up your fallow ground, you must remove every obstruction. Things may be left that you think little things. And you may wonder why you do not feel as you wish to feel in religion. When the reason is that your proud and carnal minds has covered them up. Something which God requires you to confess and remove. Break up all the ground and turn it over. Do not balk at it. As the farmer says, do not turn it aside for little difficulties. Drive the plough right through them. Beam deep and turn the ground all up so that it may be all mellow and soft and fit to receive the seed and bear the fruit that God wants to bring from your life. Amen.
If you have prepared yourself this morning to gather around the communion table, I want to read those words again from Romans. If you would take the elements, the cup that represents his blood shed for you, the bread that represents his body crucified for you. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you. We praise you, Lord God, for shining your light upon us, for bringing your conviction to us. Lord, to, to revealing, for revealing to us the desperate state that our souls were in and awakened us to the reality of Christ the beauty of his forgiveness, the power of his resurrection, the glory of his destiny, the promise to his children. Lord in heaven, oh, we remember that day. Remember that day when we lifted our heads and we said, Lord Jesus, come into our hearts. Forgive us of our sin. Remember that day when we realized that we were being washed clean that you looked upon us with different eyes, that you saw us as pure, white, spotless. You saw us and welcomed us as sons and daughters. The glorious God, I know that's never changed. I know that's how you see me. I know that's how you see us. But Lord, some of us have forgotten. We've wandered and we've drifted. And we've drifted off into a sleep. And we've forgotten. We've not been aware. Lord, this day, as we take this cup that represents the wonder of your love and your mercy, the power of your grace, awaken us, Father. Awaken us, Lord God. Do wonderful things. Do glorious things, Father. For your name's sake. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that has forgiven me. Thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, bread of life. That brings eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that you alone, you alone are the one who has those words. And we desire to follow you. We desire to hear from you. We desire, Lord God, to be moved by you, by the power of your spirit. Awaken us, Father. Awaken us, Lord God. Thank you in Jesus' name your sacrifice.
you, Lord.